You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. progressive revelation in our hearts. It's a continual progressive revelation. When God speaks to us and gives us a command, we must trust in His Word. And then by faith, we must act accordingly. We step out in faith. If you knew how it worked, it wouldn't be faith. If you knew where the supplies were coming from, it wouldn't be faith. If you had it all mapped out for you in a perfect trip pick from AAA, and you know exactly God's plan, it would not be faith. If you knew how faith worked, it wouldn't be faith. In his message today, Pastor Dave explains how when God speaks to you and gives you a command, you must trust in his word. If you were to second-guess the Lord, then you wouldn't be acting in faith. Faith is a complete trust, not a sometimes trust, but absolute. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 22. As he continues his message, Paul's Apologia, the new man. You are Philip is in a mighty revival. And people in Samaria are getting saved left and right. Getting saved constantly. There's such a revival going on. It's a wondrous time. Philip is in the midst of it, and all of a sudden, he gets a tap on his shoulder, and the Lord says, go to the desert. Excuse me? Go to the desert. But the action's here. People are getting saved left and right, Lord. No, go to the desert. Philip goes to the desert for one person. For one person, the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. Remember the story? He gets to give this guy the gospel. He gets to baptize this guy. And from that one thing, it's believed that this Ethiopian took the message of the gospel back to Africa, back to Ethiopia. Obedience. Philip didn't know where he was going. He didn't even know what he was going to do until he got to the desert. And all of a sudden, he saw the Ethiopian over there in the, tra- in the chariot, and he heard him talking. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, Go further, get closer. And when he got there, he knew what to do. God doesn't give us step two until we've taken step one. God doesn't give us step two. It's a progressive revelation in our hearts. It's a continual progressive revelation. When God speaks to us and gives us a command, we must trust in his word. And then by faith, we must act accordingly. We step out in faith. If you knew how it worked, it wouldn't be faith. If you knew where the supplies were coming from, it wouldn't be faith. If you had it all mapped out for you in a perfect trip pick from AAA and you know exactly God's plan, it would not be faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This was all new to Paul. And it must have been a very humbling experience. As I said, the mighty hunter now is the humble prey and he's reduced to being dependent upon others to the point of being led around by the hand because he's blind. The mighty Paul. This caused a humility within him that probably never existed before. This one prideful Pharisee, taught by the best teacher, blameless according to the law. He had the right pedigrees in Judaism. He's now humbled by the loss of his sight. And Paul is immediately humbled in the presence of the Lord. You see, the man who has received a true vision of the Lord has a humble mind. 
the man who has received a true vision from the Lord has a humble mind. The man who's still proud has had not an encounter with God. No man can have a true encounter with God and still maintain a prideful position. In seeing God, in really seeing God, what do I see? Myself. I see myself in my wretchedness. I see myself as I really am. You remember Isaiah? Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on the throne, and his glory filled the temple. And when he saw the Lord, what was his words? Woe is me. The man always says these things when he sees God. Woe is me. Peter, in Luke 5, verse 8, saw Jesus Christ as he really was, and what did he say? Depart from me, for I'm unclean. Depart from me, Lord, I'm unclean. Daniel, when he talked about the vision that he got from the Lord in chapter 10, said, then my beauty was turned to corruption. My beauty, because in the presence of the Lord, we pale so miserably. We fall so short. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 5, verse 3. But the poverty of the spirit always comes to the man who has had a true encounter with the eternal living God. You cannot stand in the consciousness of true and living God and still maintain pride and a prideful state. This is where Paul was. He was humbled by the sight of the risen Lord. He spends three days without his sight. Can you imagine that? Three days without his sight. The last person he saw was Jesus. And he spends three days in darkness. I wonder what was going through his mind. You wonder about those things when you read the Scriptures or am I just by myself? What was Paul thinking about during those three days? What was he thinking about? What's playing over and over and over in his mind were the words, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Saul, actually. What was going through his mind? I love to think about that kind of stuff. As usual, I digress. Within Paul's changed heart, I see this changed ownership. I see this changed attitude. And you know what? I see some changed friendships. I see people coming into Paul's life that he would have never, ever associated with. People coming into his life that he was trying to kill, trying to take prisoner. Let's read 12 and 13. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked at him. Now, you can look at this verse a lot of ways, but the way I'm looking at it is that the new man in Christ seeks out new friends. This is, there's a want to be around like-minded people, spirit-filled people. There's a want to fellowship. Luke recorded this in Acts 9.19 in the original recollection of Paul's conversion. In 9.19, he says, when he, Paul, had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent days with the disciples at Damascus. He spent time there. He spent time in fellowship immediately after his conversion. He wants to fellowship with these people. He wants to fellowship with this new group, his new group of buddies. What happened to Paul's companions? What happened to the ones that, that were leading him by the hand? What happened to them? You never hear another word about them. You don't know if they were saved. We don't know. We hope. We pray. We don't know if they were saved or not. But I suggest to you that Paul disassociated himself with them to follow Jesus Christ. Paul disassociated from these guys because we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be misled or do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. No, we spend time with a lot of people. And if you spend time with people that are damaging 
that are degrading, that are demeaning, that are demoralizing, that are harmful, that impair your judgment, that infect you, that reduce you from a Christian, that, that violate your, your Christianity. These are bad company. We should stay away from these people. These people we should avoid. These people are dragging us down. They will keep your eyes off of Christ. They will keep your eyes off of Christ. Now you're probably thinking, well, I have great friends. Well, I did too. I had wonderful friends that I hung around with, wonderful friends that I partied with. All these people that I did all these kind of stuff, but all of a sudden there was a one for me not to do those kind of things. And I never physically took myself out of their company, but I chose not to do the things that they were doing before, and what they saw in me was the new person, and they didn't like it. And they left. And I was left all by myself. Oh, wait a minute. No, Christ was there. He said he'd never leave me for forsake me. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother, and he was there. When all else forsake you, Dave, I'm there. And he nurtured me. And he led me during those days, those dark days when I was yearning for my old friends. I knew in my heart that my old friends would drag me down. My old friends would cause me to do the things that I didn't want to do. The things that weren't edifying to the body of Christ. The things that weren't edifying to Jesus. The things that weren't showing him clearly. I knew that and I had to make another choice. I had to, by faith, obey Christ and know that he was going to supplant and take me someplace and fill me with friendships. Fill me with people of like mind. Fill me with people who thought about Jesus Christ, who loved Jesus Christ, who were born again, and then the iron starts to sharpen iron and we grow in grace. And we start to love each other. And there's a love that's so thick and so deep. It's deeper than the love we have for my physical brothers and sisters. There's a bond there by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Lord pushes into our life. Because every time we go back to that group, I'm going to go back and witness to them. And you go back and you're sitting there for a while and all of a sudden the jokes start. And all of a sudden, the fun starts. And pretty soon, you find yourself laughing. You find yourself giggling. And the next thing you know, you're right in with the midst of them. And there's no difference between you and them. There's no difference. When you came to bring the, Lord, the, the word of Christ in your, into their hearts, I know I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. It's tough. It's tough to leave friends that you've loved for years and years and years and years and years behind but who don't see what you see, who don't know what you know because they're obstinate in the heart and they're exactly where you were before you met Christ. And you want to love them. So you do witness to them and it falls dead flat on the air because they're not ready to accept it. They don't want to accept it. But as they see you start living your life, as they watch you start living your life, then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the fisher guy. Whoop. You start fishing, pretty soon you get one and you draw them ever closer. That lure, they start gravitating towards you and they want to know why. Why the change? Why did you leave the friend? Why did you leave the group? You were the leader of the group. Thanks for reminding me. Why did you leave? I found Christ. My life is different now. I'm a new person. And you get to explain to them the gospel. And whether they accept or not, that's up between them and God. It's not up between me. I don't decide who gets saved and who doesn't. God does but I have a chance to tell them. And I haven't reconciled with one of them. Well, that's not true. I do see one of them every now and then. Now, if we see each other on the street, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. That's about it. But these are people that were in my home that ate at my table. I went to their house. We partied together hard. But I'm different now. I'm different because of Christ. I'm different because of what Christ has done in my life. And this was what Paul's trying to tell these Jews. You don't understand. I'm different now. I'm different. I'm a new man. 
I'm new man. We need to have friends that are going to hold us accountable to God's standards. We need to have friends who are going to check and balance us and help us and lead us and guide us and edify one another. We need to have godly friends who will constantly build us up in the faith instead of tearing us down. Oh, you believe in that Jesus thing? Always Jesus, always Jesus. We don't need friends like that. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to leave your friends behind. It's hard when you've loved these people for so long and you want so much for them to come into the kingdom. You want so much for them to be born again and to be saved, but they want nothing of you. And so when you compromise and you're in their presence and stuff like that, you don't get to talk about the Lord because you don't want to hear about it. You don't get to pray about the Lord because they don't want to hear about it. You get to do what they want to do. And you go away feeling cheap. You go away feeling used. You go away feeling, I've let Christ down. Our friends have a huge influence on our character. Our friends have a huge influence on us. Peer pressure is still alive and well today, folks. I don't care how old you are. There's huge, our friends. But we can't go through this world alone. We can't make it from one spot to another without friends. We need each other. We need each other. There's this great passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12. A great, great passage of Scripture that I want to read to you. Ecclesiastics, right after Proverbs, in between Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastics, verse 9. Now, my lovely wife applied this to our relationship and our marriage for 25 years, and it is very, very, very applicable. But I think it's also applicable to us and our friendships and things like that. So if you read with me, verse beginning in chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help up again. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. The threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need each other. We need our friends. Do you know that one horse alone can pull a thousand pounds? But did you know that two horses together pull three thousand pounds? We need each other. We need us. We are we benefit from each other. And this three cords is not quickly broken. Why? Because God is the third cord. God is the third cord when we are friends and friends of God. When we are born again and we have a Christian brother or sister that we're friends with, God becomes that third cord. And we're united and knit together in Christ. We share the same bloodline, bloodline of the king. Is God in your friendships? Is God in your relationships? He wants to be that third person. He wants to be that cord, that three-part cord. See, a new man, one changed by the love of God, the one that has had an encounter with God, seeks friends with those of like mind, seeks friends that will help him. The new man with a changed heart, we saw, has changed ownership. There's a change in management. He has a new attitude. There's a submissive to authority and a humble spirit. There's a change in friend. And the new man now in Christ has a change of purpose. There's a change of purpose purpose. And I suggest to you that there's not only a change of purpose, that there is now purpose. Because before Christ, I didn't have a purpose. I just wandered about aimlessly trying to do whatever I thought was right, whatever I did. But now with Christ, I have a purpose. For He becomes my purpose. 
Read Acts 14. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Paul had a purpose. God had chosen him to know his will, to see the just one, Jesus Christ, and to hear his voice. Paul had been living in vain with an empty life before this. As I suggest, we all have been living in vain in an empty life before Christ. We didn't have a purpose. We just ran around trying to stuff this and stuff that and make a purpose for ourselves. Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. He met him. And this must have been overwhelming to him when he realized that God had chosen him because in the midst of that, he saw God's grace because he was on the way breathing out threats. He was on the way, on the way to hurt people. He was on his way to murder people and kill people. And God pulled him out of there. Isn't that just like our Christ to come to us in our deepest time of need when we are at our worst? So many people don't come through these doors because they think they have to clean themselves up. i got to clean myself up before I go to church. No, Christ loves you just as you are. Christ died for you just as you are. He'll clean you up. He'll give you the want to become this new man. The Lord chose him not only to see Jesus but to hear his voice Acts 22, 14 is a wonderful capsule of our duty and to everyone who's before God to know his will, to see Christ, and to hear his voice, to know his word. When the Lord speaks to us through his word, we can trust in him, for he can't lie, and he's forever faithful. However, when he does speak to us through his word, it's our duty to obey in his word and submit to his will and step out by faith, by faith to do what he's called us to do. And we all want to know what the will of God is. What is the will of God for my life? Paul makes this great statement about the will of God. This is where we're going to end. In Romans 12, verse 1, I'll read it to you. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is the good and acceptable will of God for your life. Perfect will. What's God's perfect will for everyone's life? To come to repentance. That all would be saved. That's God's perfect will. That all would be saved. So we present our body to Christ. We present our body to God, and he uses his bodies for those purposes. It says don't be conformed to the world. The world's ways are selfish. The world's ways are get, 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 get. Me, 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 me. Enough me talking about me. What do you think of me? Me, 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 me. That's what the world wants. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by what God has done, the metamorphosis in your life. He speaks about renewing your mind. Think about it. It makes sense to present your body to Christ and to live for eternal values. But the problem we do is that most of us don't have an eternity view. We don't have that view of eternity, which we need. Every time we do something, we should ask ourselves, are there eternal ramifications or consequences for what we do? We should ask ourselves those questions. Then you discover the will of God by seeking God as you offer your body to him that he might use as an instrument for his work. And when your mind is the desire of God's will for your life and nothing else, he'll show you his will. You're to grow where you're planted. Where are you now? In the midst of a job or in the midst of schooling or in the midst of whatever? You're to grow there, where you're planted. Whatever you're doing, you do as unto the Lord. Solio Deo Gloria. Everything to the glory of God. We do all things as unto the Lord. 
If you're not where God wants you, he will move you, and he will show you where to go, and he will move you. But God also will test your resolve. Do you really want to do his will? Do you really want to get close to him? He's going to test your resolve. Because he wants to test and prove you. He wants you to know what's in your heart. Remember, in Exodus, we've been studying the Israelites. God was testing them. Why? Because they didn't know what was in their heart. God knew, but they didn't know. So God tests you so you'll know what's in your heart. You'll know what's in there. Deceitful, wicked, but transformed by God. Given a new heart to love. You know, it it always boggles my mind that Paul was showed what he was going to suffer for, for Christ. God showed him that, and Paul continued to move out. He said, you're going to have hardship now, but you'll have glory forever. You'll suffer for a little while, Peter says, and I love those two words, a little while. You'll suffer for a little while, but then it's not compared to the glory that you'll have in eternity. Your present suffering is not worthy to be compared of what will follow if you run the race as to win, if you hold fast to your face, if you continue to be steadfast and immovable, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Continue in what God has called you to do, loving your neighbor as yourself, sharing God's love everywhere you go, letting people know that you're a Christian, letting people know that you are a new person in Christ. Let them see the example of the new life. It should be our prayer for each other. This is what we should pray for each other, is that we would know God's will we would see his face, and we would hear his voice. And that's my prayer for you today. Become the new man. Become the new woman that God has called you to be and has made you to be in Christ Jesus. Become that person with God's help. Allow the Holy Spirit in your life to convict you, to to reprove you, to rebuke you, to get you where God wants you to be. Allow the Holy Spirit room in your life to do those things, to show you your errors, and to guide you into all truth in Jesus Christ, allow that to happen. And then people on the outside are going to see you, and they're going to go, man, there's something different about you. I just can't put my finger on it. There's something different about your marriage. There's something different about your relationship with your kids. Something's changed in you. What's going on? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came into my life and transformed it. Oh, the new man. Paul says, I'm a new man. This is why I'm acting the way I am. I'm new now. I'm a new creation in Christ. Don't you see it? Don't you look at that? And he had the Jews right where he wanted them. They were right there in the palm of his hand. And he must have been thinking to himself, things are going pretty good. That's when you have to look out. That's when you have to be careful. When you're thinking to yourself, things are going pretty good. Paul thought his speech was going pretty good. Know the will of God for your life. See the risen Savior. See Christ and hear his voice. But how does he speak to me? He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his word. He reveals himself to us through his word. This is my prayer for all of us, that we would know God's will and that we would see Christ, and that we would hear His voice. You are when Jesus left earth following His resurrection, His followers weren't sure what was next. 
They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.